Alright, here we are, Rish Outcast, and I'm Rish Outfield. I'm in a mood today, and uh, it's not a good one. But, it, but I wouldn't say that I'm in a bad mood. When, I, when, I, when you hear someone is in a bad mood, you think they are surly, they're angry, grouchy. I'm more melancholy, more down. And let's start out with movie quotes did that with the poltergeist one recently i feel like i did one just a month ago but do you remember back to the future two and three the lesser sequels to back to the future introduced a flaw into the character of marty mcfly a flaw that hadn't been there previously the flaw that marty had had in the first movie was that he was afraid to put himself out there, that he was worried that so, uh, he was afraid of rejection. He was worried, what if somebody said, get out of here, kid, you got no future. I don't know if I could handle that kind of rejection. And through the course of mentoring his father and inventing rock and roll music, he overcomes that. So when the second movie and third movie were made, and they were made concurrently, they were released about six months apart, the same way as several sequels like Pirates of the Caribbean or The Matrix. They had taken one script and sort of made it bigger. They introduced this flaw for Marty that he loses his mind whenever somebody calls him a chicken. Now, you know, I said that the sequels are lesser. They're not bad movies. But the whole Marty Chicken thing is pretty bad. Can we? Well, you don't have to agree with me. That's that's fine. I mean, it's it's. I don't love the sequels like I love the original, but they're pretty good. And the character, the growth that Marty has in Back to the Future two and three, which culminates in him getting over this need to prove himself if somebody infers that he's a chicken is actually pretty good. I love the way that it is done. So he's gone back to 1885 and Buford Tannen, Mad Dog Tannen, is calling him out, saying that he's a coward if he doesn't come out to, ha to face him. And yeah, everybody around him is saying, You're, you've been called out, you have to go out there. Or, or people will think that you're a coward. And Buford Tannen calls Marty a, f gosh, what does he call him? A greasy yellow turd, which is really gross. Then Marty has this epiphany, which is, he's an asshole. I don't care what Tannen says. I don't care what anybody says. And that sort of breaks, breaks the spell that, that those words, uh, you know, somebody calling him chicken, have over him. And even though I don't love that conceit, the chicken thing, I do love that moment where he realizes that 
he doesn't care what somebody thinks about him. Especially Buford Tannen. He's an asshole. I don't care what Tannen says. And I don't care what anybody else says either. That movie came out, I think, in 1990, like April or May. We're over 30 years later. And I was thinking about it. With renewed interest today, I was down, feeling sorry for myself, feeling like a failure, feeling not good. And I'm not sure if I need to go into the, the details, the personal details. We've all, well, if you've listened to a lot of podcasts, there's, there's the two kinds. There's the kind where the host says, you know, I don't want to go into it, but I've been having some struggles in my life, and this really spoke to me. And then there's the kind where the podcaster goes into it. He or she tell you about what's going on in their life and lets you in uh, on the private details that maybe should remain private. But when, when you see these glimpses into the private life of this person, you feel like you're a friend. You feel like they're not just a faceless voice that you're listening to. They're somebody that you know and that maybe they're confiding in you. Uh, I've been the, probably the sweet spot is somewhere in between where somebody says, you know, I don't want to go into the details, but you know, in broad strokes, here's something that, you know, my wife and I have been trying to have a child and we haven't succeeded. Rather than going into the details, the, the specifics of maybe a miscarriage or in vitro fertilization that doesn't take. And so let's just say that I've been having difficulties with one of the people that I live with. And two nights ago, I heard him say something about me to my nephew, to the six-year-old. And it, well, it really affected me. It really bothered me. I mean, I, nobody wants to hear somebody bad-mouthing them behind their back. And, and, and the fact that I've heard him do it multiple times makes me wonder, does he know that I'm listening? And he doesn't care, or he wants to get a rise out of me? Or does he just do this so often that I can't help but hear every once in every tenth time that he does it? And so, so there was a one-two punch. That's what it was. My mom couldn't take my nephew to his flag football game today. Six-year-old flag football. And my mom had said to me, did she ask you to go get him? Or did she ask your sister to go get him? And I said, oh, nobody said anything to me. And so I realized that my sister had asked her older sister to leave work early to go get my nephew at his flag football game. But, but I don't have, I didn't work today. You know, I had the day off. And it would have been way, way easier to just ask me to do, go do it. But they don't ask me to do it anymore. And so I thought, oh, well, this is his influence then. The other day, I, my nephew wanted to go with me to the storage unit. I needed to unload a bunch of containers. Or No, it was the opposite of that. 
I needed to load a bunch of containers into the car. And I told my nephew, well, look, I, I like that you want to go places with me, but it's not going to be fun. It's just going to be me moving a bunch of boxes. And my nephew said, I like to help you, which is, you know, moving, it's touching. It's great. Well, thank you for saying that. And I said, well, okay, uh, you know, if, if, if you want, just um, go in and, you know, ask your mom if it's okay. And he went in, and I guess his mom was unavailable, and he asked his dad. And then he came out, and he was unhappy. And I said, you know, it, 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 it's, it's all right. It, I, I knew that he'd been told no, but my nephew is guileless. He is at young enough age that he just went ahead and said, my dad doesn't like me to go do things with you. And I was just like, oh, okay. All right, buddy, it, it'll, it's cool. You know, we'll go do something later. <laughs> but I can't say that that didn't bother me. But then, you know, the poisonous stuff that he says that I've overheard and the, the stuff that I, he said two days ago, it stuck with me. It really echoed in my head like I was in a tunnel. Uh, it reminded me of something that my dad said when I was young and impressionable, he used to use disparaging language when I was like 12 or 13 about me, and it never left me. The things that he said, I guess, made enough of an impression that I, I took him to heart. And it was, you know, that same age where I first encountered the bullies in junior high, and they would make fun of me and... I, I never forgot it. I never, in a way, I feel like I never outgrew that. And yet, sorry, sorry, now we get to the point, right? Here's the thing. I, you know, I'm a middle-aged man. I should have grown past caring what other people say about me, what caring about what other people think of me, especially people that I don't hold in high regard. The words of Marty McFly also echo in my head. Play the clip, please. He's an asshole. I don't care what Tannen says, and I don't care what anybody else says either. I remember on the TV version, Marty said, he's an idiot. I don't care what Tannen says. I don't care what anybody says. But idiot isn't quite... Okay, well, it doesn't matter what the TV version said. The thing is, I don't need the approval of, of, of certain people. You know, there was an old, they call them a meme, right? There was an old internet cartoon where the wife is trying to get her husband to turn off the computer and call it a night. And he says, I can't go to bed, honey. Someone on the internet is wrong. And I remember 20 years ago when I first saw that, thinking that it was amusing. But here we are all these years later, and it holds as much water now as it did then. And I wonder why I care about the opinions of people that I don't respect, that I don't value, that I wouldn't go to for advice. 
You know what I mean? On, on the internet, most of the time you can be anonymous. Sometimes, you know, on message boards, people will say things that they wouldn't dare say to another person's face. And <laughs> there, there was a thread on 4chan, of all places, the other day, where a guy, an Anon, as they call them, he uh, mentioned how lonely he was. And my first instinct was like, oh, geez, don't do that. That's like blood in the water. People routinely type KYS on these boards. Uh, you know, it is like junior high bullies have become omnipotent or something on these, these message boards. And then I thought, well, why don't I type, since I'm anonymous, dude, you're not alone. You know, we've all been there. Everyone who is on this site right now has been vulnerable, has felt lonely, has felt sad. You're not alone. Everybody has things that they struggle with. It seems like there are people out there that have, they, they, they figured it all out. They got it all under control, you know what I mean? But maybe some people are better at hiding their fears, their flaws, than others. Look, I, I've got to believe that. I've got to believe that every person has worries, things that keep them up at night, and regrets, and they look in the rearview mirror and think, oh, I, I made bad decisions and they're following me, or I, why didn't I get off on the last exit, etc., etc. You know, Big and I have been podcasting this really long story that he wrote called Do Over, and at one point we asked the musical question, you know, if you could go back in time and do something over again, what would it be? Everybody's got mistakes that haunt them, or times when they were cowardly, and they wish that they had been braver. Or, you know, there are people that didn't play it safe or said something that they shouldn't have said. And that's something that they wish they could do over. Nobody's got it all figured out. And I came from an environment where you were supposed to strive to be perfect. And there's some people, there are people out there to whom this is a, a motivating idea. You know, I'm going to get perfect at something. I'm going to push myself, at, you know, in this one thing so that I am the greatest or the, the really delusional people. In every facet of my life, I am going to be perfect. And those kind of people, I imagine, are impossible to live with. Truth of the matter is that life is not fair, and everybody makes mistakes or blows an opportunity, and nobody gets a second chance on that. Nobody gets to go back and do it over, and that's too bad. I wish that I had a thicker skin, and this is something that we used to talk about on the Steve. Because we had fans, we had listeners that were very complimentary and, and, and really enjoyed what we were doing and, and encouraged us. 
And then every once in a while, we would have somebody that didn't like it or didn't get it or was offended or didn't think it was very good. And those were the people that Big and I would listen to. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to include him because this is about me. You know, I used to share some of my own stories on the Steve. Lots of times people said nice things. But one time somebody said something that brutally critical uh, about one of my stories and our audio version of it, even though I thought it was among my best works. I loved that story. I, I remember around that same time we had an episode where we talked about criticism and dealing with criticism and big brought up I will dispense this advice now. this song and I, I, I make quotes in the air when I say song because I'm not sure what it was that came out around 97 and then was re-released two years later and credited to Baz Luhrmann for some reason and, and it was to the graduating class of 1999 Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. I, I think the, the actual name of the song was Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. And there's this line in the song, which is just a monologue of pieces of advice that someone would give a graduating senior. And the line that Big brought up was, Treasure the compliments you receive. Forget the insults. Or, oh, you know what? I'm just going to play the clip. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. And then he says, If you succeed, if you in, doing this, tell succeed me how. in doing this, please Sometimes tell me ahead. how. Sometimes and it's the only one of those bits of advice that has an asterisk with it. All the rest are just bits of profound wisdom, such as live in New York once, but move before it makes you hard. Live in Northern California once, but move before it makes you soft. Yet th this, this one, the writer, the narrator, the fictional Baz Luhrmann, felt obligated to explain that this was good advice, but not advice that he had been successful in following. So, you know, it's not just me. It's most people, and, and, and the people who honestly don't let criticism bother them, that don't let the insults pierce their skin. I'm not sure if they are just pretending if they have somehow deluded themselves into believing it, because there is a philosophy of fake it till you make it, of tell yourself that you are happy over and over again, and you will find that eventually you become happy. This is advice that I have been given when I was feeling depressed. There are people that subscribe to that idea of a sort of self-hypnosis. And, I, I, gosh, I remember 
Yeah, go ahead. I hate LA. Uh, when I lived there, uh, I, I met this girl and she practiced that. And I, I, I was really impressed by it when I first met her. I was just like, oh my gosh, you are always in such a great mood. And, you know, it makes me want to be in a, a good mood. And she's just like, yeah, yeah, I am. Not always. But today, yeah, I'm great. And or I don't think great was the word she would use. It was worse than that. She would say wonderful. And I would say, yeah, I, Jacqueline, how are you doing today? Wonderful. And I'd be like, wow, geez, you are wonderful. And later I found out that that was just something that she would say. She had taken a course somewhere or something that said, smile and say wonderful. And you will start to believe it. Your brain will release endorphins that will make you feel wonderful. I... I I have no idea what it was that she had been told that it would do. But as time went on, I started to think that it was a mental illness, which isn't charitable. I, I, I shouldn't uh, be critical of other people if it works for them, of looking at the mirror and saying, you know, you're excellent, you're the best, you're wonderful, and you're going to have a great day. If that actually enables you to have a great day, then you're the winner. The rest of us are not. I just, I found myself frustrated with life and with where I am in life. And I struggle with feelings of regret, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of not being good enough. Even worse than that, feelings of not being worth anything. And when I was younger, you know, a teenager, and then in my early 20s, there was a, a danger to those feelings. You know what I mean? And I haven't had those kind of feelings for a long, long time. I, the self-destructive feelings. But the feelings of inadequacy and feelings of worthlessness, those continue to haunt me, you know? And I, and I, I had a birthday recently, and it was one of those where it's just like, wow, look at yourself. What have you accomplished? What are you? What are you worth? And yeah, just today, somebody emailed me and said, have you ever thought about what would happen to your stories when you die? And no. I haven't, because who cares? Nobody else will. You know, when I die, all of those stories that I've written and not shared with anyone will die with me. And, and, and good. But we, we like to think that we've left something behind that will stay, that will last, that will be important to someone else, and that makes us important. And every time that a celebrity dies, and, you know, for me, it's, it's always actors and actresses, you know, because I'm a, a fan of that kind of stuff, you know, but politicians die all the time, world leaders, musicians, sports stars. There's always this great outpouring of appreciation, of affection, of warmth. And a lot of times I wonder if the person ever felt that while they were alive. 
if they realized how many people they had touched, how many people considered the world a better place because they were in it. You know, uh, Marshall and I just did an episode about uh, Ahsoka, the, the Ahsoka Tano Star Wars show, and Ray Stevenson plays one of the villains. And he's excellent, and he's wonderful. Every moment he's on the screen, you think, my gosh, this is the best thing about this show. And he, and he died before that came out, before he had a chance to hear anybody say that. Did he know that he was great or even good? I hope so. And uh, I guess I'm comparing myself to him, and I shouldn't. Except for, you know, I have a small canvas and a small group of fans, of, of very loyal, decent fans, better than decent, whatever is above decent, superlative fans. And I'd like to think that I mean something to them. And why can't I remind myself that there are people that think highly of me, that think that my brother-in-law's wrong? You know, I, I'm not sure how long this episode should be. I, I, it, it, starts to be it starts to feel self-indulgent after a while, right? But at the same time, I feel I've only started to scratch the surface when it comes to this topic. You know, asking the musical question again, you know, how? How can I develop a sense of worth? of self-worth, and how can I ignore my detractors? Huh. So I, I guess I was saying that it was nice that I had fans and people that care about the stories that I've written. That's something that, we've, that I have talked about for years and years, is that I, I, at this point, I have no expectation that I am ever going to make a living with my writing that people are ever going to hold it up as something special or, you know, that I'm one of their favorites. I will never own my own home, which is the benchmark for success that I've always said. Way back in, gosh, would have been like 2006 when Biggs first showed me Yo Gabba Gabba. No, was it Yo Gabba Gabba? No, it was, it was Dora the Explorer. He, like, his daughter was watching that, and the guy said, I'm the map. I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the map. I'm the fucking map. And I was horrified. I said, Big, all that song was is I'm the map. Somebody wrote that. Somebody wrote that song. And he says, yeah, Dora the Explorer is incredibly popular. And I was like, the person that wrote I'm the Map owns his own home. And, um, you know, I had moved back in with my mom. And yet, you know, we're, we're living in a, a time of the writer's strike and the actor's strike at the time that I'm recording this. And... Statistics have come out of, of, of what actors and writers make. And they said that most writers uh, have to do their writing on the side as a 
side hustle as a second job as a hobby and have something else as their primary form of income. And if most writers do that, then I'm in good company. Who knows how many more rotations around the sun I've got left in me. But I, I enjoy writing and thinking about stories and dreaming up scenarios and writing, you know, the little sketches that I sometimes run here on the show. And uh, maybe that can be enough. You know, I do narration and I do voice work and I'm paid pretty well for that. Things could be worse. <laughs> Things will one day be worse. I know. I, I, I do wish that I were faster. I wish that I were able to start a story and stick with it and make it through to the very end and then start on the next story and repeat the process. But I'm not. And I have gotten better compared to how I was as a 20-something or how I was as a teenager. Oh, I was terrible as a teenager. But I'm not where I would like to be even in a creative sense. If I wrote every single story idea that came into my head, then I would be as prolific as uh, Stephen King, as James Patterson, as the alien. Um, but these things are cyclical. For two years, I wrote every single day. And there were times that it was really hard, and there were other times when it wasn't. And I wrote and finished a couple of really good stories in that time period, and I wrote and finished some that weren't so good, and I started and didn't finish many others. But still I fight. Still I get up in the late morning and try to make the best of the time that I have. And, and of course I could do better. But I will go to the family cabin, usually on, on a Wednesday afternoon, and invariably I will bring a DVD from the library. And a lot of times I will start the DVD and then I will pause it and run into the other room and try and do some writing or editing because it draws me, it calls me. It's, it's my calling. It's, it's, my, it's what I long to do. And, and it makes me feel less worthless. When I write, I am in charge. I am smart. I am powerful. I hold these characters very lives in my hand. It's an escape. Yes, but it's a constructive escape. Sadly, I care what Buford Tannen thinks. And I care what everybody thinks. 
but everybody includes people that like me, that like the stuff that I do, that, that can tolerate my many weaknesses. And it would be great if I could learn to focus on those people and maybe not so much on the others. I'm going to try. So yes, this episode has been a little bit off the beaten path. And I could include a tale of eBay horror here or try and come up with something funny, like a little fake commercial or something. But maybe, maybe not. Maybe this time it's just a confessional episode and I can promise that the next one will be more entertaining and lighter. I hope that you have a good evening. And I hope that you can remember the compliments that you receive and forget the insults. Sometimes you're ahead, sometimes you're behind. The race is long, and in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed Please in doing this, tell, tell me, me how. I've been Rich Outfield. Farewell. The Rish Outcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 license. That allows you to listen to it, copy it, and share it, but not to sell it, edit it, distort it, or otherwise have your way with it. I know how you are. You are not as fat as you imagine. In the mirrored floor, replicas of light reached upward, mistily reflecting. It was a sight of such weird and enchanting loveliness that Smith held his breath, watching. Did I fall asleep again? Yeah. Lighter than smoke, and moved on tiptoe very delicately. Then the light shimmered, and she was not dancing. I'm sorry, I don't know where I am. I hastened on board. The Kamtshata. Kamt? Kamp? Kamt? Shak. Shatka. The Kamtshakta. The Kamtshak. Kamp? Chakka. The Kamtshotka was one of my favorite ships. Roop hesitated. Storm hesitated. Storm hesitated. Roop hesitated. Carica hesitated. She hesitated. She hesitated. That word, she hesitated. Their territories, their territories aren't as large as ours. Their territory, territories, their territories aren't as, uh, their territories aren't as large as ours. Just have the, the audio play right here again. And have the non-Baz guy say, if you figure out how to do this, and then have me saying... Scott had to be at school early for basketball practice with the coach. He was on the team, though he rarely played. What? Scott had to be at school early for basketball practice with the coach.
What do you mean with the cro- coach? <laughs> Third time's a charm. Scott had to be school. He was on the team. Scott had to be at school early for basketball practice, with a coach who was furious with him. He was the best or second best player on the team. He was the second best or third best player on the team. Uh, give me just a second. I'm going to take these metal things and I'm going to throw them through a plate glass window and then make the sign of the cross. Sorry. Uh, uh, uh.